Maybe you've heard that Amazon keeps up with the most popular passages that are, that are read in, in, in Kindle books. Maybe you've read in a, a book on Kindle and you've highlighted a particular sentence or two. And what Amazon does is they look at all the different places that readers highlight uh, passages and they can figure out which passages are the most popular. So you can, you can find out what the most popular passages in Lord of the Rings or Pride and Prejudice or Little Women or Hunger Games. You can find out what the most popular passages are. Well, what about the Bible? What do you think would be the most highlighted passages in the Bible on Kindle? You might think John 3.16 or you might say probably Psalm 23. And if you said either of those two passages, you'd be wrong. The most highlighted passages of the Bible in Kindle's most popular version of the Bible are Philippians 4, 6, and 7. And this tells us something. It tells us of the weight that people feel when it comes to living today. There's so much fear and anxiety. In fact, these things are weighing us down. And yet God calls us not to a a life of worry and fear, but to a life of peace. But how do we have peace and, and joy in the midst of the tragedies and hardships and craziness of life? Well, this morning we're going to be in Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9, as we think about these questions together. Now, last week... In part one of of this sermon, we looked at the first few verses in Philippians 4 uh, through through 9. We we looked at verses 4 through 6. And this week, we'll look at verses 6 and following. And we'll try to think about how to live a life of of joy and peace in the midst of of the craziness of life. You'll remember that the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Philippians to the church at Philippi. It was a good church, had some issues. Uh, with division and, and such as that. But Paul was writing to encourage them to remain faithful to the Lord. Let's look at Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9 together. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving... Present your request to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence and if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. This text teaches that you should live a life of joy and peace. You should live a life of joy and peace. But how? How do we live a life of joy and peace? Well, last week, looking at the first verses together, we saw that you must have the right attitude. We saw that in verse 4. Next, we saw that you must have a merciful spirit toward others. And third, we saw the command, do not worry. We're not supposed to worry. Well, this morning, we're going to continue to ask the question, how do we live a life of joy and peace in this crazy world? Let's look in verses 6 and 7. What is Paul's antidote for worry? Well, in verse 6, what Paul says is this. He says, pray. Instead of worrying, Pray. So prayer is key in combating anxiety. 
It's key in in helping us avoid a life of, of worry and fear. Paul says in everything. In other words, whatever's troubling you, whatever's bugging you, bring that to God. He says with prayer and petition, make your request known to God. Well, we understand what prayer is. Prayer is talking to God. But what about petition? Well, petition means an urgent plea or an urgent request. So is something on your heart? Is something weighing you down? Paul says, take it to God in prayer. Make a plea to him. Petition him for his help. And what we see is that God listens to the prayers of his people. And not only does God listen to the prayers of his people, it's clear that God cares for his people. And what's happening in our lives, that that matters to God. So what's a first line of defense against those nagging anxieties that, that begin to play games with our minds? Well, Paul says it's prayer, but not only prayer. It's prayer with a heart that's filled with thanksgiving. So it's thankful prayer. In other words, we bring our concerns to him. We bring our burdens to him, but we also spend time thanking him for the ways that he has blessed us. Think about this. The Philippians knew Jesus. They had come to know the Lord Jesus, so they had much to be thankful for. They could look forward to to heaven. I mean, imagine that. Death is not the end of the story. But for a person who's in Christ, death becomes the entryway into an amazing, glorious eternity where all of the brokenness of this world is gone. Do you see how the Philippians had a lot to be thankful for? Not only were these Philippians to be thankful for the fact that they knew the Lord and and could look forward to heaven, they should be thankful because, they should be thankful because the Lord had given them his, His help and His peace. You see, when a person comes to know Jesus, the Spirit comes to dwell within And the Spirit helps and and comforts and strengthens and all of those sorts of things. So Paul says to the Philippians, even though you're facing hardship, even though you're facing persecution for your faith, you be thankful. Be thankful. Now recognize that a thankful heart is also really critical in combating our anxieties. You see, a spirit of thanksgiving is really essential if we're going to avoid a life of worry. In verse 7, Paul assures the Philippians that God will send his peace. He'll send his peace to calm the fearful mind and the burdened heart. His peace. This is a peace that he says goes beyond understanding. In other words, it's a supernatural peace. It's a peace that only Christ can bring. There's no other substitute for this kind of peace, but it's available to those who as Paul says at the end of verse 7, who are in Christ. In other words, this peace that God promises is not for every person who's alive. This peace that God promises is for those who know Jesus, who are in Him, who have turned from their sin and put their faith in Him, who have become believers. That is, people who are born again. Paul does not say to the Philippians, you pray and whatever you pray for, I'm going to do exactly what you've prayed for. Your circumstances are going to change. You're not going to face any of the burdens that you face. God doesn't say that because God never makes that promise. He doesn't promise us that he'll take all hardships away from us. What does he promise the Philippians? That even if the circumstances don't change, that he would send his supernatural peace to guard their hearts and their minds. In other words, he would send a peace that would stand guard over their heart and and over their minds. 
to help them. So how do you live a life of joy and peace? Well, from verses 6 and 7, we see you pray expectantly with a thankful heart. You pray expectantly with a thankful heart. Now, many of you have heard of Corey Ten Boom, one of the heroes of the faith. She and her family, during World War II, worked to, to protect and to hide Jews from the Nazis. Well, eventually, her family was taken to concentration camps, and, and they passed away there. They died in the midst of these concentration camps. But Corey Ten Boom survived, and eventually she was released. And she spent the remaining decades of her life telling people about Jesus and about his faithfulness to her in the midst of the difficulties that she faced in that horrible time. Well, Ten Boom said this regarding worry. Look around and be distressed. Look inside and be depressed. But look to Jesus and be at rest. And friends, there's so much truth there. If you'll turn your eyes off of all of this, and if you can get your eyes off of yourself, because when we spend too much time looking within, we find ourselves in a pit. But if instead we'll look to the Lord Jesus and bring our burdens to Him, bring the things that trouble us to Him, keeping our eyes on Him, the Bible tells us that that we can find peace. That we can be at rest. So tell him what troubles you. With a thankful heart. Telling him thank you for the the ways that he's blessed you. But call out to him. And trust. That he'll send a peace. A peace that'll protect you. That'll that'll protect your heart. That'll protect your fears. So have a daily prayer time. If If you want to think about how to put this into practice. Have a daily prayer time. Set aside a time and a place where you're going to meet with God every day. And at this place, bring those things that trouble you and that weigh you down. Bring them to God. Bring them up to Him and let Him know what's happening in your heart and what's happening in your life. Share them with Him. Now, you, of course, are going to pray throughout the day as well. But this specific time every day that you meet with God, oh, it's going to be absolutely critical one in staying close to the Lord but also in knowing his peace because when we bring our needs to him he sends his peace to guard our hearts so pray through verses about God's peace maybe maybe you say you know what I really anxiety just grips me fear grips me one of the one of the ways that you can approach that is to memorize scripture that have to do with with the peace of God Philippians 4, 6, and 7 is a great verse to memorize. Maybe 1 Peter 5, 7 or Psalm 23. Memorize these verses and then when worry begins to eat at you, remind yourself of the truth of God's word. Remind yourself of the promises of God. But don't just remember these verses. Use these verses as a guide to help you pray. So memorize Philippians 4, 6, and 7 and pray through it. When when anxiety begins to, to weigh you down, Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Here's an example of making that a prayer. You say, Lord, you're my shepherd. Help me to remember that you protect me, that you provide for me, that you meet my needs, that your eyes are on me because I'm your sheep. I matter to you. Lord, help me to remember that, to to, to keep that in mind. 
Lord, help me not to want and chase after all these things that are really not that important. God, help me to keep my eyes on you and help me remember the ways that you have blessed me. God, help me not to be discontent, but to be satisfied in knowing you. Do you see how the scriptures can guide us in our prayers? So memorize the word and use the word to help you pray. If you haven't memorized Philippians 4, 6, and 7, I'd encourage you to do that. What a great verse to help you in the midst of anxiety and what a great verse to guide you in your prayers regarding uh, the the difficulties um, that anxiety can bring. So not only do we pray and pray scripture, we need to be thankful. Be thankful. So having a thankful heart is not only the right attitude toward God to, to be grateful for all that he's done, but it also reminds us of his faithfulness in the past. You see, as I look back in the pages of of the history of my life, as you look back in in the history of your life and in this particular instances, you you can see where God's been faithful. So having a thankful heart, in many ways, is a reminder. I don't have to worry about what's coming here because I know the God who took care of this and this And this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this. Do you see what I'm saying? We should pray with a thankful heart. And a thankful heart helps us understand that for a child of God to be anxious truly is foolish. Because our God is faithful. He has been faithful, and He will continue to be faithful. And I knew a dear lady who struggled with worry, and so she took took, uh, a piece of notebook paper, and she wrote, the whole alphabet down the left side of this notebook paper. And then for every letter, she wrote down something or someone, some way that God had worked that she was thankful for. Now, granted, some letters are going to be more challenging to make a list like that than others, but what a helpful list. She would pray through that list regularly, and it reminded her that God had taken care of her. And she could trust that that he would continue to do so, that he would continue to hold her that he would continue to be with her in the midst of the challenges and the difficulties of life. So pray regularly with a thankful heart. God has been faithful in the lives of his children and you can know without a shadow of a doubt that he will remain so. So pray with thanksgiving. I want you to know that God may not always answer your prayers as you hope. He didn't say to the Philippians, as I mentioned a moment ago, you're not going to have to face persecution anymore. No, it could be that God says to you, you're going to have to walk through this tough battle. But what God promises the Philippians and he promises his children today is that he will send a peace that's supernatural to guard hearts and minds no matter the circumstance no matter the difficulty, the hardship. So how do you live a life of peace and joy? Well, we've seen that you must pray expectantly with a thankful heart. How else do you live a life of joy and peace? Let's look in verse 8. Paul tells the Philippians to be careful in their thinking here in verse 8. The Philippians were to think on those things that were true. In other words, those things that were true from God's point of view, not what the culture around them said was true, but what the Word of God said was true. He says to think on those things that are honorable, that is, those things that are, that are worthy of respect, those things that are just, in other words, that are just from God's perspective, that are right from God's perspective. He says to think on the things that are pure, that which is in accord with the holiness of God. Incidentally, purity begins with our thought lives. 
Jesus said something about that in Matthew 5. Think on the things that are lovely. In other words, that which is beautiful from from God's point of view. That which is commendable or worthy of respect. And then Paul summarizes with a couple of of phrases that are sort of catch-all phrases. He says, any moral excellence or anything that's praiseworthy. In other words, things that point to an excellence of character. Things that, that are worthy of respect and admiration and honor. Put your mind on these things. Dwell, he says, on these things. Now, these traits were virtues that were held in high regard among the noblest aspirations of of Greek culture. But Paul was saying to the Philippians, you hold these virtues, of course, from a biblical perspective. You hold these most honorable traits up and think on these kinds of things. They're to be the focus of your thinking. They're to be what you dwell on. Once again, Scripture urges a discipline in our thought lives, a discipline in what we think about. This list, as you look at it, emphasizes the importance of the mind in the life uh, of the the Christian. Careful, disciplined thinking is critical if you're going to love God with all your mind as Jesus uh, required in Matthew 22, 37. Our thinking matters to God. A lot of the times we want to say, well, I didn't do this or that just thought about it. But what we need to recognize as believers is that our thoughts matter to God and our thoughts affect the direction that our lives go. Our thoughts affect the peace that we have in our hearts or the the joy that we have in our lives. Now, if you think about these verses, it seems clear that a believer is not to dwell on that which is dishonorable, that which is false, that which is impure. Paul commands the Philippians to think about, ponder, and dwell on that which is good beautiful, and true. Obviously, the great truths of the Christian faith are in view here. So how do you live a life of joy and peace? Well, from verse 8, you have a disciplined mind. You have a disciplined mind. Research has confirmed again and again and again that exposure to a lot of social media is linked to having an adverse effect on mental health. And do we even need research to tell us that? I mean, think about what you see. So much of social media is just filled with negative, with fighting, with with this accusation, with this and with that, and all of this negative. And so in this uh, study, it was suggested that Instagram was the worst social media app, that it was associated with the highest levels of anxiety, depression, bullying, and what's been called FOMO, or fear of missing out. Uh, The other social media apps... Facebook, Twitter weren't far behind, similarly associated with anxiety, with depression. Interestingly, another study found that attending church regularly was linked to better mental health. In fact, the researcher said this, not a, not a Christian, not driven by a Christian university or something like that, just a run-of-the-mill kind of, of academic research. The higher the worship frequency, the lower the odds of depression, mania, and panic disorders. In addition, surveys have demonstrated that church attendance and religious belief are linked with lower incidences of drug and alcohol abuse. We know, of course, that all social media isn't bad, but a whole lot of it is negative. And when we focus on things that are dark and negative or simply things that foster jealousy or envy or discontent, How 
on earth can we expect to live a life of joy and peace? How can we expect that? On the other hand, when we focus on knowing God and on drawing close to Him and the great truths of the faith and and when we gather together with other believers to encourage us along, we find greater joy and greater peace. You see what God's Word says? It's true. His Word makes a difference in, in, in our lives. So focus on what is good and true in your thinking. This means that you're going to need to spend a lot of time reading the Word. Do you have a daily time that you read the Word? If you don't, today your takeaway is this. Set aside a regular time and place that you're going to meet with God in prayer and then you're going to meet with God to study His Word. Because His Word will shape your thinking. His Word will shape your inner life. It will shape the way you evaluate all of life. If you want to think of what's good and true and the things that are excellent and praiseworthy, then know the Word of God and dwell in it, live in it, learn it. Scripture memory is another great way to get a hold of the Word and to let the Word get a hold of you. Books that are solid and reliable, uh, written by by good authors, those can help you. Um, A lot of what's sold as a Christian book, a lot of that stuff is, you need to be careful of it. But, But research the book. Make sure that it's written by a solid author. And then learn and study. Be encouraged in the faith. Good biographies of of spiritual greats from days in the past. Oh, these can encourage and inspire and challenge us. They're they're wonderful ways to think about that which is good and excellent and true when we can look back to a faithful saint of yesteryear and see how they faced the challenges and the hardships of life and they kept clinging to God. And then we can see how God carried them through. Oh, there's encouragement there. There's encouragement that he's going to carry us through. So good biographies are are a great blessing. Don't dwell on that which is dark, false, and impure. Don't dwell on those things. Don't spend your time thinking about all that's bad. If you watch news 24 hours a day and you see bad headline after bad headline after bad headline after bad headline, how can you expect to be filled with joy and peace? For Pete's sake, maybe we, get, we, get a, we take a little dose of that to see what's happening. But we need to be careful that we're not allowing ourselves to just dwell in the negative all the time. We need to think on the things that are good and right and true and beautiful. So if you spend your time in the gutter, don't be surprised to find yourself feeling like that as well. We need to be careful of the media that we take in, of the movies that we watch, of the TV that, that we consume, the internet that we read and, and watch and take in, stuff that's filled with lies and darkness and impurity, those things affect us. They affect our inner life. They affect our heart and our thinking. They affect what we love and what we treasure. Oh, it's dangerous to let all of that garbage into our hearts. We need to be careful. How can we have pure thoughts if we feed on filth? It won't happen. And how can we have peace and joy if we dwell constantly on all that's fearful? It isn't going to happen. Thinking that's focused on what is good and right and true, that kind of thinking contributes to a life that's marked by joy and peace. So how do you live a life of joy and peace? We've seen first that you pray expectantly with a a thankful heart. Second, that you have a disciplined mind. Well, how else can we live a life of joy and peace. Let's look in verse 9. Paul puts it plainly in verse 9. 
He says, do what you have learned. In other words, obey God. He says, what you've received, the the truth that you've learned, that, that you've received, that you've been instructed, even the example that I set, Paul says to the Philippians, you put all of that into practice. So truth isn't meant to sit on a shelf. Truth isn't meant to to be something that that we put on a shelf or that we hang on a little plaque. No, truth is meant to be something that's put into practice. We live out the teachings of God's Word. We're not merely philosophers who like to talk about the truth, talk about meaning and purpose and what makes life good and what makes life bad. No, no. We're not merely philosophers. We're practitioners. We're meant to put the truths of God into our lives. We want to do what God says, not just know what God says. Paul reminds the Philippians that as they had a commitment to obey God, that the God of peace would be with them. Now, earlier, he promised the peace of God as they brought their their burdens to him. And now he promises the presence of God. He says, obey, seek to obey what you know and trust that the God of peace will be with you. He's not just any God. He's the God of peace. He's the God who, who calms your heart, who stills your soul. That God, he'll be with you. The one true God, the God of peace. So how do you live a life of joy and peace? Verse 9 says, have a submissive will. Have a submissive will. In other words, obey. One of the most tragic figures in Scripture is King Saul. You remember King Saul, his stories told in 1 Samuel. When he was chosen as the first king of Israel, he was a handsome, tall young man. He was was 30 years old. Early on, Saul led the people in a great military victory against the Ammonites. But later... The Philistines would soon gather to attack Israel. And Saul was was waiting. He was waiting for Samuel, the prophet, to show up. Samuel was supposed to bring, uh, uh, or was supposed to come and, and make an offering to the Lord. But Samuel didn't show up when Saul expected him. So what Saul did is he said, you know what, I'm not really supposed to make this offering to God, but I'll just do it anyway. I'll just kind of take matters into my own hands. And so he made this offering up to Saul, and that was just one of Saul's many, many times of directly disobeying God. And if you know the story of Saul, you you know what happens. Saul's disobedience brought him to a place of absolute internal misery and agony. He was tormented as a result of his disobedience. He became paranoid and, and troubled emotionally. He was trying to kill David, thinking that David was out to get him. He was, he was crazy. And if you look back to the genesis of, of his emotional state, it goes back to his continued disobedience to God, his continued rejection of what God told him. So what does Saul's life teach us? His life teaches us the danger of disobeying God, the danger of disobedience. When we rebel against God, we face the awful consequences of our sin. For Saul, it was an inner turmoil and a torment that he couldn't escape from. And when we disobey God, we're going to find that peace and joy are a long ways off. We're going to find our lives filled with pain, with confusion, with fear, 
and so many more terrible things. This is the reason that God tells us to walk in obedience. He loves us like a parent who says to his child, don't touch the flame. It's not going to be good if you touch the flame. Don't do it. That's what God says to us when he calls us to obedience. He calls us to protection. He calls us to a life of joy and peace. And yet, like the the foolish child who has to touch the flame, we do the same all the time. We say to God, I know better. You say this, but I'll do it my way. And friends, it always brings heartache. It always brings brokenness. And it's a brokenness that God wants to protect you from, that God wants to spare you from. So what does all this mean in our lives? Well, let's think about these questions together. Do you pride yourself on knowing a lot about God and a lot about his word? Oh, this is good. It is good to know about God and to know a lot about his word. But I must ask you, friend, is this isolated truth or is it embodied truth? Is it isolated? In other words, is it just in your head? You know all of these facts and all of this information about God. Or is this embodied truth? Is it lived out in your day-to-day life? Do you strive to obey the teachings of God day in and day out? Oh, you see, God calls us to obey, not just know. Do you seek to live a life of obedience to God? Do you really strive to take what his word says and to put it into practice? Or do you constantly give yourself excuses? Well, this is not that big of a deal. It doesn't matter. Oh, this is small. It doesn't matter. I'll, I can skip out on this. I can ignore that. Oh, all these other people have these giant sins. I didn't murder anybody. It's no big deal. Or do you say to God what your word says? I want my life to line up with that. I want to take what you say seriously, God. I want to live out your truth. So strive to obey him in all things. We don't have the power in our own strength to obey, but as we lean into him, as we seek him, his grace empowers us to live a life that's pleasing, a life of righteousness. And if this morning you're a believer and you're on the wrong track, you know what God's calling you to? He's calling you to get on the right track. To ask for forgiveness and to say, God, I'm ready to make a turn. I, I want to I do what you say. And the wonderful thing with God is that he always has open arms. When we have hearts of repentance, his arms are open. He'll forgive, he'll heal, he'll re- receive you. Friend, I want to remind you that disobedience shatters joy and peace. Now, don't misunderstand me. Sin can be a lot of fun for a while. A lot of fun. And you're doing what you want to do and everything seems so good. But those days never, ever last. They never last. They never do. Eventually sin brings things like this. Well, I did this and now I've got to try to sneak around and hide it. I've got to try to find some way to conceal it. I don't want people to know. Oh, there's no joy and peace there, is there? Oh, we have to face the consequences of our sin. Well, I did this, and now it means this, and this, and this. There's not much peace and joy there, is there, friend? Disobedience leads to guilt. It leads to fear. It leads to regret. It leads to shame. It leads to anxiety. It leads to broken relationships. And the list could go on. Do you see that if we would live 
a life of joy and peace, a critical part of that is going to be walking in obedience to the word of God. So have a submissive will toward God. One writer tells the story of a time that, that he had his grandsons. They were, they were small boys. He said it was late in the evening. They should have been in bed a long time ago. But he said, you know what, I was their grandpa and we were going on with this or that and having a lot of fun together. So I didn't worry about the fact that I'd let them stay up way too late. And they were playing and laughing. And all of a sudden they heard a knock at the door. The doorbell didn't ring, just a, a loud knock at the door. The two boys were scared because it was late. No one was expecting a a guest. So here comes that knock again. So he made his way to the door and one of his grandsons was holding on to his left leg as he he walked to the door. And as he began to open the door, his his grandson stood behind his his leg and, and hid from the man who was at the door. It turned out that it was just one of his son's friends who happened to be in the area and wanted to stop by and and say hi. After the friend had left, the little boy that had been holding on to his grandpa's leg turned around to his brother and said, see, Bubba, we didn't have anything to worry about. And this writer, reflecting on the experience, said this, that little boy could say that so confidently because he was clinging to my leg and he was sure that as long as he was with me, he was okay. Now, friends, I want you to know Anxiety is going to come to your door. That unwelcome guest is going to bang on your door. What will you do? Will you cling to the Lord Jesus? Will you hold fast to him? Because I want you to know if you do, there's peace there. There's security there. There's help there. There's life there. Yes, fears will come. But in Christ We can have peace and we can have joy. For this reason, Paul urges the Philippians to pray expectantly with a thankful heart. He urges the Philippians to have a disciplined mind. And he urges them to have a submissive will. So those of you who are here today and you're believers, I want to ask you, what is it that you need to do in response to this message? What What step do you need to take to apply what we've thought about this morning into your life? God doesn't want you to to live a life that's trapped in fear and anxiety and depression. So take the steps you need to take. For some of you, what you need to do is you need to begin to be in the Word. You really need every day to start reading the Word. I'd encourage you to take that step. Others of you need to spend some good time praying each day. Some of you need to memorize scriptures and use those as as guides for your prayer. And some of you who are really struggling, who find yourself in a pit, well, you need to get some help. You need to talk with another mature believer, one of the pastors here, a solid Christian counselor, and you need to get someone who will walk with you through this dark time, through this difficult time. One of the resources that God has given us in moments like these are other people who, who can help. So, so get some help if that's you. If you're in that kind of a, of a difficulty and, and a struggle, get some help. Some of you who are here today are Christians and you're kind of living life as you want to live. You kind of know where the boundaries are, but you're kind of saying, you know, I'm going to skate outside of these boundaries. It's kind of awful fun over here. I know what God says is here, but over here is not so bad. Friend, what God is saying to you today is to get back. 
get back to him. Get back where it's safe. Where there will be ultimate joy and true peace. Not facades. Not false joy and false peace. But real joy and real peace. Today God's calling you to make a turn and and to, to come back to him. So whatever God is calling you to do today, believers, I urge you to obey to find the peace and the joy that we can know in Christ. For those of you who are here who are not believers, well, God's one clear word to you today is to turn to Him, to turn to Him in faith, to become a, a Christian. You see, the promises that we talked about today, they're for people who know Jesus. Today, you could know Him. If you came here today and you didn't know Him, you could leave here today knowing Him. How can you come to know Jesus? Will you come to the place in your life where you say to God, I'm tired of doing things my own way. God, I want to turn from doing things my own way and I want to follow you. I believe Jesus died and that he rose again. I want to know him. And the Bible tells us when we call out to Jesus in simple faith that God will save and he'll never let us go. And friend, if you come to know Jesus today, I cannot promise you a life where everything's peachy and everything's great, but I can promise you that you'll have a Savior who'll be right beside you. And as you seek Him and lean into Him, He'll give you a peace and a joy that's indescribable. If you do not know the Lord Jesus today, won't you come? In just a moment, we'll stand and sing. And when we do, I would invite you to just stand to your feet and and come down this aisle. I'll be right here. Ralph Huerta will be right here. We would love to visit with you more about how you can know Jesus. Others of you may want to come and just pray at the altar. Whatever God is leading you to do, I want to encourage you to to respond in obedience. Let's stand and sing.